0: Is anybody here, we have anybody here that's served in the military? Okay, well, <clears throat> nobody can challenge this observation then. Um, <laughs> I, or maybe you can. I, I've noticed over time that um, people who have served in the military tend to travel light. Has, has anybody noticed that the, the people who have served in the military are very efficient packers? I mean, if you give them... A pair of clean underwear and some jeans and a t-shirt and a, and a bottle opener, maybe. They they can exist for a week like that, right? Now, uh, on the other hand, a lot of us tend to be on the opposite extreme of that, especially if you have young children. Uh, you know, I remember when our children were much younger, we would we would go somewhere and we would have to take the double jogging stroller and put it in the back of the Odyssey, and, and that kind of fills it up by itself. But then you have to cram, everything else around it and pack it in there. And we were probably even worse when we only had Emma. Uh, I remember one of our first big trips, Emma was two weeks old. We were going to the beach for a week and we decided that we had to take the diaper genie with us. (laughs) That, That that was a must have. We were new parents. And what do you do with those stinky things? Well, you have to put them in there and wrap them in another layer of plastic until you get about 50 and that. The Sierra Club loves us. Um, those things are never going to decay. But we were, we were kind of the exact opposite of the military person who packs efficiently. We were not traveling light uh, at all. Kind of, kind of what I want you to think about today, what I want to ask you is, is are you traveling light? Uh, I take this from the title of a commentary on Galatians by a man named Eugene Peterson. Uh, he writes... Uh, in this commentary that uh, his, he was pastoring a congregation back in the 1980s and he said his congregation was affluent, they were well educated and they knew a lot about Christianity they had a decent knowledge of the Christian faith, but they weren 't traveling light uh, they were they were spending thousands of dollars on expensive security systems for their homes they were anxious about inflation they were pessimistic about Uh, there ever being peace in the world about there ever being justice and he says they were living huddled worried and defensive lives just love that description huddled worried and defensive lives are you living that way huddled worried defensive overwhelmed maybe anxious do those words describe your life Uh, i want to suggest that we have the the antidote for that here today. And it's this book called Galatians. That if you take the message of the book of Galatians into your heart, into your life, that that will actually help you to to lay down your burdens, uh, to overcome your anxieties, to find freedom, to actually know the grace and the peace of God. So, uh, I'll read for us. This is God's Word. I'm going to be reading... Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is your word, and and we pray that you would meet with us now, uh, and that you would help us to understand it and to comprehend it and to take it in. And Father, we pray that, that you would use your word Uh, in our hearts now to change us and to free us from our burdens. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be spending probably the next three or four months working our way through this book. So let me give you a little bit of an introduction, and and you'll come to understand the book a little bit better uh, each week. There are going to be some recurring themes in the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians is actually a letter written by uh, a man named Paul. Uh, Paul was one of the early converts to Christianity, uh, and he had been on—he he went on several uh, missionary journeys, church planting journeys. Some of the churches he started were in a place called Galatia. All right now, everybody knows where that is, right? It's down by Paklet or something. Where's, where's, where's Galatia? Galatia is roughly where modern-day Turkey is. All right, so that's that's where this, uh, where Galatia was, and these. Uh, churches he is writing to were probably churches in the southern part of galatia the letters probably written around A.D. uh, 48 so one of his earliest if not the earliest letters by the apostle paul Uh, he has been to galatia and he has preached the gospel there now what's the gospel the gospel is this message that man is made right with god not by what you do but by trusting in the work of jesus christ on the cross That that, that's it, that it's simple, that there's nothing more to it. That's how you're made right with God. But now Paul has gone on from Galatia, and he's received news that after he left, other people had come into these churches, and they were contradicting his message. These people uh, were called Judaizers. uh, And they were teaching that in order to have a relationship with God, you had to believe in Jesus Christ plus something else you had to believe in jesus and obey the law of moses there's very jewish flavor to their teaching you had to believe in jesus yes but you also had to do the works of the mosaic law these these this law that you find in the old testament that you've got to be circumcised as a sign of really belonging to god that you have to observe all the feast days and all the special days that were observed in the old testament you've got to do all of these things uh, In order to be right with God just Jesus wasn't enough it was Jesus plus something else and so Paul's concerned about the people in the churches that he started in Galatia because what they're hearing now is not what he taught them it's not the gospel it's not good news it's not going to bring anybody into a right relationship with God it has no power to actually change anybody. It has no power to actually grow anybody. There's no freedom in it. In fact, the message uh, that they are teaching will actually take away your freedom and lead you back into slavery. And so Paul is very concerned to correct what they are now being taught. Uh, you'll notice, and you'll pick this up through the first, throughout the first chapter, that Paul is very concerned to establish his authority. That's one of the things the people who had come in after him were doing was they were challenging the authority of the Apostle Paul, and he's very concerned to establish the truth of his message, because they're contradicting his authority, they're contradicting his message as well. Now, what I want you to see today, just as we we introduce this letter and as we look at this this greeting from Paul, uh, is that Paul wants these people in Galatia uh, to know the grace and peace of God. He wants them to know freedom. Uh, He wants them to be freed from their burdens. He wants them to travel light. But in order to do that, they really do have to see that Paul's authority is from God. They've got to see the origin of his authority. Uh, They've also got to see who they are and what their situation is outside of this gospel message. And then they've got to see exactly what it was that Jesus came to do, what this gospel message proclaims about what Jesus came to do. So we're going we're to look at all that. Uh, first of all, this origin of Paul's authority. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He'll go on to say, we'll see in a couple of weeks, uh, later on in chapter 1, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Uh, And he also says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, why does he make such a big deal about this? Why is this so something that Paul is, is is making this stand about uh, the people who came after Paul the judaizers were saying look that's a nice message that Paul has but that's just his opinion about god it's not a message from god it's something Paul has said concerning god but but it's not actually from god now we might hear that a lot today well that's a nice opinion about god but that message is not actually from God, and so it's not that Paul just, you know, he's like, oh, "I got to defend my reputation here." No, he's concerned to defend his authority because that's very uh, wrapped up in actually defending the gospel itself. Because in calling into question his authority, in calling into question the origin of his authority, they're actually calling into question the very message that Paul has spoken to them. Look at it like this. Uh, if, if the commander of a, of a United States submarine, uh, nuclear submarine, gets a message to launch your missiles at China, uh, and you wanted to convince him, that's really not a very good idea. Uh, one of the ways you might go about trying to convince him of that is to call into question the authority of the one who brought the message. You might say, look, that message isn't really from the president. That's just from Private Bob over there, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, you don't need to believe or submit yourself to this message. Paul is saying, Look, my authority for bringing you this message, this is not man's message. This is a divine message. Uh, Paul is an apostle. Now, a possible, uh, an apostle is someone who is a messenger who has authority to represent the person who has sent them. And in the New Testament, the, there was a group of. The apostles, kind of with a capital A, these were people who had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ and who had authority from him to go and to declare his message. Paul was one of these men. Now, again, okay, why are you making such a big deal about this? Why is this so crucial? Uh, if, if the message of Galatians uh, is going to change your life, if, if you really are going to experience the freedom that Paul is after for you, if you're really going to experience God's grace and peace, if you're really going to travel light, you've got to be convinced that the message of this book is not just a human message. It's not just a message from man about God. But this message of the book of Galatians is actually from God himself. It's a message from God to you. Uh, now, if you're not convinced of that, then, then my invitation to you, I'm not going to make a big argument about why this is true, but I would simply invite you to continue to wrestle with the book of Galatians and to, to see it for yourself, as it were, uh, to, 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 to pick through Galatians, to think about it, and to see why this is a message from God to you. Wrestle with what it says. I'd also invite you to think about exactly what functions as... Um, authority in your life? What's, what's your authority for the things that you believe? You know, for some of us, it might be our, our church. It might be um, our tribe. We're a very tribal nation. You know, we're Democrats, Republicans, Steelers fans, Cowboys fans. We're, we're in all these little groups and our tribe is our authority. Whatever the tribe says, that's what we believe. Uh, for some of us, it's our, it's our feelings. Just, just whatever, and, and this is probably very widespread today, whatever is in my heart, whatever I feel about something, that's the ultimate standard of what's right and what's wrong. I am, or my feelings are, my highest authority. Now, think about for a minute just how absurd that really is. That of all the billions of people on the earth, that my feelings would be the ultimate judge of what is right and what is true, uh, what is not true—that they would be the highest authority. So most right now are caught up in in our feelings. They they dictate to us. They control us. They determine the very path of our lives. And I I would submit to us that you're going to find freedom. Uh, you're going to be able to travel light as you come out from under the authority of your feelings and submit yourself to the authority of this message from God. As you begin to see, what is true is determined by not what I feel, but by what the God of the universe actually says is true. Uh, As he reveals himself to you in this gospel message about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he came to do. Paul's very concerned to establish this. Look, this is not just, one more opinion about what God's like this is actually a message from God that's where I'm getting my authority now secondly how are we going to experience the grace and peace of God you got to see who you are outside of this gospel message uh, outside of the relationship with Jesus Christ look at verse 4 Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus Christ, why did he come? What was he about? Did he just come to establish a religion? Did he come just to set us... An example, was he just this uh, great prophet who managed to, to mess up and get himself killed? W- what was he doing here? Paul is saying that Jesus Christ actually came to deliver us, that he came on a rescue mission. And the fact that he came to deliver us, that he came to rescue us, what does that assume about us? Well, it assumes we needed rescuing, it assumed that we were trapped. Uh, It it assumes that we were in a condition that we could do nothing about. We were actually trapped, it says, in this present evil age. Uh, And the Bible's very straightforward. We we might like it to beat around the bush more than it does, but it's very straightforward. It doesn't pull any punches. Uh, It says to us throughout the pages of Scripture that there's something wrong with the world, that there's something wrong with, with you and I, that there's a brokenness to the world, that there's a brokenness to me, that there's a brokenness... To you, and I think most of us would admit, at least, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. That, that 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 something is just just out of whack with the world that we live in, and I think you can see this in the fact, perhaps, that we're all working so hard to escape from the brokenness. You may not want to admit that it's there, but I think you can see that if you'll think about the fact that you're working so hard to get away from it, it may. Uh, Open your eyes to the fact that it is there. That we are busy trying to get away from the fallenness of the world. We're busy trying to get away from the ick of the world. We're busy trying to get away with what's wrong with me. I'm spending so much time and energy devoted uh, to that. I I had a friend who said recently at a marriage conference, uh, the reason you marry somebody who's the opposite of you is because you hate yourself so much. Uh, And you're trying to get away from you. And and we're just busy with that. You know, the the person who uh, binges on two gallons of ice cream at two in the morning uh, and the person who counts every single calorie are both uh, trying to get away from something. They're both trying to escape from something just in different ways. And they both wind up, though, being enslaved by food just in different ways. Um, We're trying to escape. We try to escape through our appearance, and then we become obsessed with our appearance. We try to escape through our work. We try to save the world. And then that enslaves us and dictates uh, our days to us. We try to find uh, freedom and deliverance and escape through what other people think about us. So, where does that lead us? It leaves us in this constant fear of man and fear of rejection and fear of what other people are going to say about me. And so, we haven't found freedom or escape there either. Eugene Peterson says, We live in a world awash in fantasies of freedom. We spend enormous sums of money and immense amounts of psychic energy on these fantasies. We fantasize a free life based on power, on sex, on fame, on leisure. Whole industries develop out of these fantasies. Careers are shaped by them. Political movements are launched by them. But the world we live in is conspicuously and sadly lacking in the experience of freedom. The fantasies are barren. They give birth to nothing in word or deed. For all our elaborate and expensive fantasies, the actual lives that most people live are filled with impotence, boredom, obscurity, and hassle impotence boredom obscurity and hassle living in the land of the free has not made us free we are a nation of addicts and complainers and yet we're pursuing all of it in the name of freedom we're looking for freedom we're looking for grace and peace we want to be traveling light but we can't find it and the list of ways we try to find it, I could spend all afternoon. We could just name thing after thing after thing after thing of where we're trying to find freedom. But let me add just one more to the list before we go on. Another place we look for freedom uh, is religion. We look to religion, we look to our performance at religion, we look to our good works. And we say, if I can just be religious enough, if I can just be good enough, if I can just be victorious, then God will bless my life and everything's going to be okay for me. And Paul is saying, that's just one more way you imprison yourself. Uh, And your imprisonment, he says, is actually connected to to your sin. Your imprisonment is connected to your sin and you can't do anything about it by trying to escape through all these fantasies. You can't do anything about it by trying to be religious. You need someone to rescue you. You need Jesus. You need this gospel message of rescue by Jesus. And if you turn away from this message that Jesus is the one who rescues you, that Jesus is the one who frees you, the only thing you're going to find is you're going to find yourself back looking for freedom, enslaved all over again. There is no other way to freedom than in this gospel message of what Jesus Christ has come to do. Trying harder, doing more, sucking it up, none of that's going to free you. It's just going to lead you to more and more bondage. I watched the movie several weeks ago. We watched the movie 127 Hours. I think it's that many hours it was. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Anyway, 127 Hours. And in this movie, there's a hiker. He goes out for a hike by himself um, into the desert, and he he falls into, or he's in this big crevice where nobody can really see him. And as he's down in the crevice, a boulder falls, and it pins his arm there. And he can't get out. Um, he's got a little bit of water. He's got a little bit of food. But w- no matter what he does, he can't free that arm. It's trapped by this massive boulder. And there's nothing that he can think of to escape. See, what, what the Scripture says is that we're, we're like him. We're trapped. We're fighting for freedom. We're trying to find it. But because of our own sin, we're in this present evil age where we are trapped, we're overcome, we're, in, we're pinned down by our sin. We can't free ourselves. We don't even have a knife to pull out and cut our arm off with, like the guy does in the movie. It's kind of fun to watch. We, we, don't, we don't even have that. We are unable to rescue ourselves. Picture it like this, even. You're trapped in the crevice with a boulder on your arm, and everything you do to try to get loose just rattles the walls of the canyon and causes more boulders to fall on top of you. And so your very efforts to get free are actually uh, binding you more. Ensuring that you won't escape. And Paul's saying, you're just burying yourself deeper. Your religious efforts even, you're burying yourself deeper with those as well. You find grace and peace By understanding that this message Paul is bringing is not man's message, but it's God's message. You find grace and peace by understanding what it is that has trapped you. And then you find grace and peace, finally, by seeing what Jesus has come to do. Uh, Verse 4, Jesus, again, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. See, the thing that imprisons us is the same thing... um, that separates us from god it's our sin and the only one who can do anything about our sin is jesus you know why do our efforts then what are our efforts to be good Why are our efforts to free ourselves why do they just imprison us further well this is why you can't rely on your effort and the effort of jesus at the same time you cannot rely on your effort and on the effort of Jesus at the same time. See it's not just your, your irreligion. Your lack of religion that keeps you away from God. It's our religion that keeps us away from God as well. It's adding to the gospel of grace. That keeps us away from God. You know, Some of us are saying. How would you feel in this blank? I'll experience grace and peace in my life. When I blank i remember matt's game anybody i'll experience grace and peace in my life when i what what would go in that blank for you what's the key in your mind to your experiencing the grace and peace of god when i when i sin less i'll experience the grace and peace of god when i read my bible more i'll experience the grace and peace of god i'll when i pray more I'll experience. When I, when I finally learn how to share my faith and quit being scared to tell other people about Jesus, then I'll experience the grace and peace of God. Now, well, when I get all my priorities right, because my life is just a wreck, and when I, when I finally, you know, get, get them in a row and get everything clean and, and everything is good, then, then I'll experience the grace and peace of God. What Paul is saying is that, look, you'll experience the grace and peace of God When you've learned to rest in what Jesus has done for you and not in what you do for Jesus. Not in what you do, period. You'll experience the grace and peace of God when you learn to rest in what Jesus has done. And when you get up and you remind yourself of that every day. When you grasp fully that your righteousness, and that's a big word that we'll unpack as we uh, work through this letter... When you understand that your righteousness, your right standing with God doesn't come through what you do, but it comes through what Jesus has done. Uh, Martin Luther wrote, his most famous commentary is his commentary on the book of Galatians. And probably the most famous thing in that commentary is his preface to the book of Galatians. And I, I'm going to find that. And I'll stick that on the website this week. It's, it's six or seven pages long, but it's just, it's, it's pure gold. And in that, um, He says that what I have to do is to abandon my own righteousness. I have to abandon this idea that it's my goodness that brings me into and keeps me in the right relationship with God. I have to abandon my own righteousness and rest in the righteousness of Jesus. I have to rest in what Jesus Christ has done. See, I think one of the reasons that we're anxious and that we're overwhelmed, and that we can't lay down all this baggage that we're carrying, is that we're trying to put our lives together instead of resting in what Jesus has done. We're trying to do something to make ourselves less anxious and less worried instead of learning to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're trying to rescue ourselves and instead of looking to Jesus to rescue us. See, what you really have to do, if you want something to do, it's this. You've got to abandon your righteousness. You've got to abandon your goodness. And let's go back to the hiker in 127 hours again. You've got to abandon your righteousness the way he abandoned his arm in that canyon. And you've got to to begin to look at your righteousness as this dead piece of flesh that's trapping you and killing you. Because he couldn't get out because his arm was stuck. Your righteousness is what has you stuck your sense that that I can do this, that I can pull myself together. And you've got to leave it behind. You've got to walk away from it or it'll kill you. And the invitation is to flee from all of your doing and all of your busyness and all of your goodness and to run to Jesus Christ. And in Him, you'll find the freedom to lay your burdens down and to travel light. Uh, y'all, that's the message of Galatians, and, and we're going to be hammering it over and over and unpacking it and looking at it from different angles over the next few months. Uh, it's been called, the book of Galatians has been called a little bomb because of the way it blows up in your life as, you, as you, your eyes are kind of open to what it's saying. <clears throat> there was a great revival movement that began in England in the 18th century known as the Great Awakening. A lot of people trace the beginnings of that revival to a man uh, named William Holland. In 1783, he sat down and he read Luther's preface to to the book of Galatians. And this is what he said after he read it. There came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions, seeing me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. And when afterwards I went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. And so what did he do with that? He decided, man, everybody's got to read this. And so he went to these little groups, I guess to their version of small groups, and he started reading Luther's um, introduction to galatians to everybody just over and over again he would read it out loud to anybody who would listen and one of the people he read it to was a man named john wesley Uh, and wesley heard it and he he spoke the line you might have heard my heart was strangely warmed by this message that he heard it was the beginning of the great awakening when thousands hundreds of of people even came to saving faith in jesus christ they started traveling light they laid down their burdens. They found freedom. They knew the grace and the peace of God. And it's all in this little book. Six chapters. We're going to be studying it for three months. And I would encourage you over this time to maybe read through it every week as we're coming back to talk about it. And to think about what this book is really saying. You're not made right with God through what, you're, what you do or have done or will do or might do, but simply through what Jesus Christ has done. And this whole book is calling you simply to rest there and to believe that, and that will completely change your life. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that this book of Galatians would be like a little bomb in our lives, that it would explode, that it would change us, Uh, But Father, I know if we simply read it and you don't open our eyes to what's in it, that it it won't have that effect. So I pray that you would do that. Uh, Father, that you would indeed rescue us, that you would give us eyes to see, uh, ears to hear the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.